The modern world offers abundant opportunities for us to explore and find fulfillment in ways that enrich our lives. Many individuals are open to pursuing multiple careers if it means finding happiness and purpose. This week, I had the pleasure of hosting Dr. Shalini Malik, a renowned doctor and author who shared the story of how she came to have two careers, the obstacles she encountered, and the motivations that sustain her in a world that is still influenced by male dominance. Hi, Shalini, and uh, welcome to the series of conversations uh, where basically what we are doing is we are getting women achievers, who we call women trailblazers, to share the stories of their lives with us, to tell us about their ups and downs, struggles, how they started doing whatever they were doing. And eventually, we want to be able to motivate other women inspire them to break out of whatever is holding them back and realize their potential. And then, of course, we want to build a community of women who are there to support and motivate each other, be there for each other. So without much further ado, uh, welcome to this series and uh, let's get started. Thank you so much, Sangeeta. It's an absolute privilege to be here. And I love what you said about, you know, how sharing our stories can motivate other women. Uh, I think that is a really, really great thought uh, behind About Her and uh, lovely platform and all the best to you and the platform. Thank you so much. Okay, so as an icebreaker, so tell us a little bit about your early life, your childhood and, you know, where you were born and things like that. So um, I am basically, uh, I was born and brought up in Delhi uh, in a very cosmopolitan uh, kind of an environment. Uh, Both my parents are doctors uh, and uh, I had a very, uh, I mean, I do not think that there was anything really exceptional uh, about my childhood. Uh, It was a very uh, strong, close-knit family, uh, uh, you know, a kind of middle-class family where both the parents are working and the emphasis is just on, you know, uh, making a good life for yourself and uh, doing good and, uh, you know, having a large extended family with a very broad social circle. So we were exposed to a lot of influences. And uh, growing up was in Delhi at that time was just uh, beautiful. And I think Delhi is still a part of me, uh, thanks to that. And uh, so once I finished my school, I joined my medical training at the Lady Harding Medical College again in Delhi. I'm very, very fortunate. And this is going to come as a really surprise to a lot of people. I have never even lived in a hospital. So from that point of view, maybe I had a very protected upbringing. I don't know. So Mm -hmm. I joined my MBBS in Lady Harding Medical College. And then um, I studied, uh, I specialized in pathology and, um, uh, you know, started a career. Uh, So I think that way it's been a very routine uh, kind of uh, uh, childhood and early adulthood okay so is there any particular memory that like pops out and you know you feel that it was because of that some experience you had or the way you were raised which has made you the way you are today of course I think not one but I think all of us are products of how we were raised and how we responded to uh, you know Uh, those experiences so in our home the emphasis was always on um, you know being there for each other doing the right thing and uh, that is very much a part of me even today and uh, also uh, you know we had a very very broad social circle both family friends extended family so uh, you know they are uh, very very integral to our life even today Mm-hmm. And we remain connected. And, um, you know, there was a time when as a child or even in college, you feel that all this is very irrelevant, you know. All you want is your own group of friends or a few cousins. But now, you know, as you grow, you realize how important those values were, uh, you know, and how important it is to cherish those ties and, you know, those connections with your roots, actually. So that is a part of me because both my parents have been very particular about, you know, maintaining those, being consistent in those uh, okay. relationships. Okay, great. Okay, so how did you decide to be a doctor? Because your parents were doctors. Okay, so that's, um, uh, when I passed school, I actually didn't have any big plans to be a doctor. I think, you know, at that age, a lot of us are rebelling. 
and we don't even know what we are rebelling against. So I actually uh, thought that I don't want to be a doctor. I want to do something different. Okay. And yeah, so I actually, you know, went and I joined Delhi University. I got I got a good course in Lady Sri Ram College. And I, but once I started that, I actually thought about what I want to do and not what I don't want to do, you know. Okay. And somewhere I think that is where the experiences of childhood, of those dining table conversations, of seeing both your parents go to work every day as doctors, you know, then they began to crop up. And that is when I decided that, okay, let me try, uh, let me give the exam because it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. So I actually, uh, it was a sort of a delayed reaction. I dropped a year, uh, which mm -hmm. is, you know, which is surprising. But then, you know, it was important uh, because then I was finally doing what I thought I wanted to do. You know, mm -hmm. if I'd taken the same decision a year back, I probably would have done it because everyone expected me to do it. Like you're saying, mm -hmm. from day one, when we were children, everyone used to come and ask us that, oh, your parents are doctors, so you're going to become a doctor. Yeah, so exactly. I have this thing that I really thought it over and I became a doctor because I wanted to become a doctor. That's, so that's very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially, you know, when you're training and you're studying so much, it's, it's, you need to know that you really wanted to do this. So that's how I, uh, and then I was, of course, fortunate enough to get admission in one of the best uh, colleges yeah. and, you know, yeah. start my career that way. Okay. So uh, any particular challenges that you think you faced in your journey? Oh. Uh, I think uh, training as a doctor itself is very challenging. Okay. So I had the usual uh, challenges of trying to, you know, understand how uh, how to study all that you need to and how to put everything together. So the course itself was challenging, um, mm -hmm. you know, passing mm -hmm. those exams, giving further exams to be able to get a area a field of specialization which you want is also a challenge so I face those regular challenges which I think all medical students uh, uh, face uh, that was during my uh, training yeah, uh, yeah. As a doctor and the other challenges were to come later <laughs> because you know when you're training you're still very protected and you're part of 150 other people who have the same challenges so uh, it was later when I started working, I realized that, uh, you know, the world is a very unequal place. And that's where the challenges in the professional domain came up. So you think now, right now, you're talking about challenges as a woman? Yes, I am talking about challenges as a woman. Yes. So, uh, if, <laughs> if you're aware, Lady Harding Medical College was at that time uh, the only one of the very few colleges in the world which admits only women students mm -hmm. for medical. Yeah. So, um, so in that sense, um, we were very, very uh, protected from the outside world. Yeah. And also, there was no scope for any discrimination because it was an only women's college. Absolutely. It yeah. is only when I uh, went out into the world to work, I realized yeah. how unequal the world is and how differently men are treated. Uh, from women in the workspace and that uh, was a very difficult thing to accept for me uh, you know the it was there's so much stereotyping there is so much misogyny there is so much uh, cultural expectation of the way you're supposed to behave uh, it it was a shocker frankly speaking it still manages to surprise me sometimes mm -hmm. uh, so you know those were the routine challenges for example a man is loud and very firm he will be called assertive whereas a woman doing the same thing will be called aggressive or hormonal or you know yeah, something yeah. like that and uh, the fact that uh, a lot of times uh, you are simply unseen invisible when you are a woman in a workplace you know you can be saying the same thing no one's going to it's not even going to register to someone that you said this like 15 minutes ago and you were right and that happens very, very routinely, I think, to all of us working women. Mm -hmm. So I was not prepared for those experiences because I never experienced such a situation at home. No. Never. Uh, during my college days, never. Uh, so, you know, those uh, really threw me off. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So anything you, how did you manage to then deal with them? 
I think you, uh, the first, uh, the biggest challenge in dealing with them is understanding what's happening because it just comes out of the blue. You don't expect it. and mm-hmm. But once you realize what's happening, you learn, and I did, to very mm-hmm. politely, very firmly put your foot down. Uh, you know, you have to call it out. Yes. Uh, I think that if you don't call it out, there's a part of you which is not happy inside when you go back home. So you yeah, you yeah, learn to yeah. call it out uh, without, you know, without throwing a tantrum, without making a ruckus about it. You yeah. just politely say that, oh, uh, I don't think I'm going to do this. You, what I do is I don't try and, I honestly don't try and explain to the other people why they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's going to help, but I just tell them that that's not the only way things work. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that I see things different. And I say it in words that, oh, you know, um, so-and-so also said the same thing. Uh, why did you just, uh, you know, uh, react uh, like this if I was angry? So I just leave it at that, hoping that, you know, I've put in this little thought inside the opposite person's frame of mind. What I learned also was that um, there are, each battle is not worth fighting. Yes, that's, you have to pick your battles. You have to pick your battles. You have to have your conviction. But at the same time, you are not here to change the world. Mm. You're here to put your perspective as firmly as you can. Yeah, and hope that you know it will make a dent somewhere, but it's yeah. not. You can't make it your, you know, your mission to change the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Not in, not at your workplace, not in a day-to-day conversation. You you do these things gradually, gently, by making the same point again and again, by yeah. setting yeah. your boundaries, by telling people that this is not going to work with me, and so, by doing it every time and. It works. It will work very slowly, uh, but you do get the results. So it's a long process. And um, that's that's just the way that I think a lot of workplaces are. And I think if all of us, you know, just keep pointing out or, you know, drawing up our boundaries somewhere, something, you know, it will make a difference, which it already has started to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that I'm not justifying anyone, but I, I don't. You know, things have been the way they are for very, very long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like you're saying, it is starting to change. Uh, but the first thing is that, you know, we have to be consistent. Yes. So, yes. if we are consistent with our boundaries and we are patient, we will get what we want. Um, although there will always be some people whom we can't change. Of course, of course. that is there, that is there. Okay. So you're, uh, of course, a working woman, you're a mother and a daughter and a you know wife and all of those. So all the various roles which women have to play. So what is your balancing act? How do you balance them? <laughs> the word balancing act is, you know, the perfect term that you've used. Because sometimes it just feels like an act. It feels like, you know, you, you don't have it together, but you sort of just pretending to have it together Hmm. on a serious note it is a precarious balance and I think all of us should accept that because sometimes some women make it look very easy which is good for them (laughs) but I feel that it also can pressurize the other women so I think it is a very very precarious balance and I think that we don't always manage to hold it together Mm -hmm. and that is also something that we should talk about. But what I, when I do feel that I'm able to balance things, it is by using the simple magic word, no. That's yeah. it. No. That is your superpower. Don't be scared to use the word no. Yes. Don't um, don't feel guilty for using the word no. Because if you are saying no, it's often that you're saying yes to yourself. And you're saying yes to what you need, what you need to survive. So it's not really a no. We are all conditioned not to say no, to go the extra mile, to do whatever it means. I think if you overcome that barrier of, you know, uh, the conditioning that we have, and you simply learn to say no, even to important stuff, even to important people, you will gradually realize that the balance is happening. Also, for any balance, your priorities have to be in place. We cannot Mm -hmm. have 
you know, we cannot give the same importance to everything and then do everything. It's it's not possible. Mm-hmm. So, and your priorities will change. For example, if at this moment, my I have a child who has an exam. So that will be my priority. It does not mean that I have given up my career or I have given up my writing. It just means that I'm able to change my priority and balance according to whatever is coming on the top at that particular time. So I think that's how I actually try and balance. The last thing in balance is that whenever we're trying to do so many things, Mm. There will always be something that we are missing out on because time is finite, energy is finite. I think it's very, very important to reconcile to that. Don't Mm. be resentful of that. Mm. It's a choice we're making, right? If I decide to write, it's something extra beyond my work Mm. and my family. So where is that time coming from? Where is that energy coming from? Uh, I'm missing out on something, right? I may be missing out on TV. I may be missing out on catch-ups with... I may be missing out on reunions. Yeah. So I think it's very important to be at peace with that. Because Mm. the moment you feel that, oh, I didn't get to do that, it's, it's going to fall apart because you're just pushing yourself. So I think you put your priorities in place. And you just do what you can. And you keep saying no to whatever is not fulfilling you, whatever is not uh, making you comfortable. Uh, That is the key. Great, great. Thank you. Okay, so when you look back and reflect on your life, what do you think has been your biggest success so far? That's a very, very tough question. Um, So... I've thought about this and I I thought of, I've you know whenever something important or some major milestone happens uh, whether it is at work or in writing mm-hmm. I do think about this um, but I think that the biggest success is actually now that I don't measure success by these metrics anymore okay. Uh, okay. for me um, success is simply um, did I set out, achieve the goals I laid out for myself? Okay. Uh, I th- I decided that I'm going to do a particular course. I'm going to upskill myself. Uh, was I able to do that? Yeah. I decided that I would complete a book um, or I would try and write something new, something different. Um, so in that sense, if I have been able to do that, work towards that goal, I think it is a success. Um, I don't think that, uh, you know, any of these recognitions and all really uh, mean success uh, in the true sense of the word. And And, in a long-lasting way. Yeah, in a long-lasting, deeper way, I think it is internal. So it's more more of accomplishment than achievement, actually, Mm -hmm. you know. When you feel that you have done something you set out to do and a job well done, and in terms of um, work, uh, success is, you know, managing to do what you were, what you started out to do, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a pathologist, to give good reports, to do quality work every day. As a writer, it is to touch the reader. So if, you know, those happen, it is a success. Great, great. So, of course, you're doing so many things and but not every day you are, you know, equally motivated and inspired to kind of start with a bang. You know, there are days when you're not feeling up to it or you just don't want to do anything, you know, like kind of demotivated. And so how do you deal with those highs and lows of life? So um, motivation is, uh, yeah, like you said, those days happen. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there are. I mean, they happen more often than we would like them to. So what helps on those days? The first thing is um, I have a lot of fabulous friends. I'm surrounded by people who champion me. I have I have people who will text me if I have not texted them for two days. And they'll just ask, hey, what's up? You know, something's mm-hmm. not okay. 
I have people, friends, uh, and most of them are women. So I have this amazing sisterhood, actually, uh, who will, I can just text and say, yaar, I have not been able to write for two days. I'm just so bored. I'm just so demotivated. Hmm. And, uh, or even just a simple text. Am I even a writer? And then, you know, one of my friends will get back. Of course you are, you know. So I think surrounding yourself with people who give you a positive energy, mm-hmm. who um who are your champions who will always be there to motivate you uh is one of the first things and of course you also have to be there for them so it is always a uh, energy which is coming through from people the second thing is on a more practical note is that i i start making lists and i start planning Hmm. Uh, that really helps me I love planners and calendars and I keep buying them and I keep coloring them pink and purple and blue and green for different things <laughs> I do this all physically because on the computer I don't get that thrill so I use highlighters <laughs> yes different I, I can actually this resonates a lot with me I am quite like that okay, okay. Yes, and I'll put those little stickers over the date and it doesn't matter if I don't follow it the next day but that oh, day I'll have to so it makes I think it makes us feel in control it makes us feel that we've got this and you know always I used to do this in college also when there had so much to study Mm -hmm. so I used to drop the whole schedule and I know there's no way in one day I can finish this right yeah yeah. tomorrow morning I'll make another one but just making it (laughs) you know my mom would come it's like I have to study so much I'm like yeah sort of you know let's just let it be there so I I plan. So I think the other thing with planning it, breaking a bigger task into smaller yes, things yes, helps yes. us get that start. Like you said, when you're demotivated, you don't even feel like starting. You're like, I mean, why am I doing this? You know, and then if you break it up, you say, okay, I'm just going to do, you know, I'm just going to research a little bit about this. So mm-hmm. it gives you a little bit of start without overwhelming you. So these two things I do and... Um, Otherwise, motivation is mostly discipline. If yeah. nothing works, after a certain amount of time, you just have to get up and, uh, you know, get start going. work. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah. So that's that's about motivation. Inspiration is everywhere. It's, mm-hmm. I think if you just sit down with yourself and you just look at the people around you, uh, inspiration is everywhere. Uh, you yeah, can always yeah, yeah. something to think about to write about you can find something new to do always there is there is so much in the world it's just that in our cluttered up life we don't get the time to you know find it in our daily life yeah. there's there is a lot of clutter with especially with phones and with social media and everything so I think if you just allow yourself to be which again I mean it's easier said than done Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lot of inspiration around us in our daily lives. Right. Okay. So treating patients, writing away, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? <laughs> so if you would ask me five years back, where do you see yourself? I wouldn't have known that. Uh, I would not have even imagined that I would be writing. I would have actually written a book and any of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and also I think uh, you know by the time we reach our stage we are very well aware that anything we plan life is going to plan something entirely different for yeah, us that is there. right so I don't know I honestly don't know but I hope to see myself happy mm-hmm. I hope to see myself fulfilled in whatever I'm doing yeah. I hope maybe it's writing maybe it's something else and I hope to see myself living without any regrets. Great, oh, great. That's, that's a wonderful uh, thought. But Shalini, is one thing when you were talking about your career, you didn't tell us how the transition happened from being, I mean, of course, it's not exactly a transition, but it's an add-on. So from being a doctor, how did you decide to become an author as well? Yeah, so that's actually, uh, that's actually very unexpected, yeah, as you put it. Uh, and yeah, I would also like to reiterate that it is not a transition. I'm still working full time and I'm yeah, yeah. Uh, fully immersed in medicine as well as writing. I have always been a very, very ardent reader. I have, uh, I mean, um, 
two to three books a month is a minimum and it's often more i mean two mm-hmm. to three books a month with work uh, yeah, and yeah. nowadays it's even more so it's about five to seven uh i how i started writing was because one of my friends was writing on a social media platform mm-hmm. and i would write in response to whatever she would write like we had shared uh, interests and we had shared life experiences and when i wrote i would get a lot of validation from the people on that group you know ki oh this resonated with us and you should write more and i think that's a very encouraging thing to tell a writer so because yes, a lot of people would tell me that you should write more and you know we like what you read because it touches us so i started writing for some short story magazines i began to you know just find some contests and send in my submissions to and i got further validation when you know people like what i read so Wonderful. this was as late as 2019 actually okay uh, okay yeah before that i have actually not been a writer in any way okay uh, except for our boring medical uh, research papers you know there's nothing creative about that a lot of information <laughs> and uh and then the pandemic happened i think the pandemic affected uh, everyone so when the pandemic happened i had more a little more time than i usually did yeah. i didn't have a lot of time because we were still working we were uh, you know we had to go to the lab and everything but yeah mm-hmm. our other activities were curtailed more than that uh, you know the pandemic brought a lot of chaos to everyone of course yeah. every mm-hmm. but uh, for doctors we were upfront and close much closer than um, others mm-hmm. so it disturbed me in a lot of ways so i started writing to you know express that and initially all my writings were about the pandemic they were non fiction uh, pieces about my thoughts about the pandemic about what doctors were going through mm-hmm. uh, but then it extended on to fiction so this was where i felt happy and calm when you know the whole world was sort of crumbling around us yeah, so that's yeah. how it happened and you know then the story it's it's classic that a short story became a long story and a long story became a book yeah okay so shalini uh, some of the learnings of your life i mean some lessons which life has taught you so certain things that you would like to share with others so that they can also learn so uh okay the first one's not it it may seem a little harsh but uh, they can be or rather there will be um times and moments and instances where you could have done everything right and you could have been the most honest sincere person uh, done absolutely everything the way it was supposed to be done and be completely right mm-hmm. uh but it will all come to naught mm-hmm. it will all come to naught and um, it may even be because someone didn't see it that way or it could just be without any particular reason but that's that's going to happen mm-hmm. and it's going to hurt it's going to hurt and it's it's going to i mean it's going to be huge mm-hmm. but it's also going to be okay because Uh, as long as you have your conviction and you know that what you did was the right thing yeah uh, it's okay it will fall into place um it will fall into place in a very different way from what you had expected mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. but it is fall into place and you are going to have to keep the faith yeah. um that's i think that is lesson number 1 mm-hmm. uh, i think lesson number 2 is that everything passes the good stuff the bad stuff the okay stuff it's all temporary yeah it's yeah. All, all going to pass and um the sun is going to rise the next day definitely and it's a new day it's a new day and you can you will make something out of it again mm-hmm. it's it may not be what you thought it's going to be yeah it may be better it may not be all there mm-hmm. but um it's okay yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be so i i just have this huge incredible faith now that nothing is in your control and that is true nothing is in your control absolutely nothing 
and whatever it is, you're just going to make the best of whatever happens. You just have to keep the faith and realize that, you know, like I said, it's not something that you could do to change stuff. Mm. So I think that is my biggest uh, learning in terms of life experiences, uh, especially in the workplace and especially mm -hmm. when it comes to things that, you know, you have wanted, uh, so-called, you know, that you have been wanting or aiming for. Uh, the second thing is that, like I said in the beginning, um, family, people, people are important. Yeah, People yeah. are very, very important. Uh, they could be family, they could be friends, they could be even colleagues. But I do believe that you are touching everyone's lives. Yeah. Everyone you meet. And um, it's just nicer if... It's nice if you are warm and generous and kind. Uh, because somewhere, if that's what you are, you will find it coming back to you. That's um, right. People are much more important than a lot of things that many of us uh, give importance to. Not give importance to, I think it gets lost because, you know, we we tend to postpone our relationships our friendships because of the clutter again that life is you know mm -hmm. we just on this constant checklist that we have to get all this done but I think the warmth and the connection that uh, meeting people that interacting with people who care for us gives us I think that is a huge source uh, it is an inner resource that we are uh, you know building up in ourselves yeah so yeah. These two things, I feel, rest is all, you know, it changes from time to time, uh, phase to phase in our life. Yes, definitely. Things do change, yeah. So, okay, a successful woman that you are. So how does the world react? And when I'm talking about the world, I'm talking of both the genders, men and women. So you know you've made a mark somewhere, you're known for something. So how does the world react to it? So that's a very interesting question because uh, there are so many different reactions. Uh, the people who genuinely feel for you and the people who genuinely um, love you are going to be happy and proud. Mm -hmm. uh, those might be fewer, but they are the important people in your life. Yeah, yeah definitely. But what's more important is for the rest of the world. I think that is probably what you meant more. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of different kind of reactions. You get, um, you will be talked about, mm -hmm. um, will be judged for choices you made, for decisions sure. you took to get wherever you are. You will be made to feel guilty for missing out on some things uh, to mm -hmm. get what you did. You will be compared to other people. Um, yeah. You will be... Um, uh, you will also have to give a lot of explanations, which you never imagined that you would be asked for. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you'll get all of these responses and many more, but the most important way in which people react to you, which is not always obvious, is fear. And a lot of these responses uh, find their origin in fear. Because when you have achieved something, Mm -hmm. you have evolved you have broken a certain barrier you have done something which has not been done before or which people did not expect you to do mm -hmm. there's a lot of growth in that yeah. even if it is something very simple even if it is something even if it is a woman who has never gone out of the house she goes out and starts her first job there is a, anything new that you do there is a lot of growth you have empowered yourself to go break a barrier to do something. Yeah, that's right. And this is what people fear. That you are this breaking is, a barrier. Yes, because I don't think that there is anything scarier than a woman who is empowered, a mm. woman who is strong, and a woman who is evolving. Mm. Because mm. she knows herself. She knows her power. If she can do this, she can do a lot more. Yes. So I think that uh, this woman is one of the scariest creatures on the planet. Uh, and I very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Okay. And I agree. 
and i think that all these you know when people will humiliate you or talk about you or judge you this is all a response of the fear because you are no longer being controlled yes right so the people who were or who wanted to control you are not going to be happy <laughs> and what do they want <laughs> they want you to come back to their little controlling fold yeah, yeah, yeah. and you are you you flown the cage yes uh, absolutely mm-hmm. so i think that uh, this power that um, one woman is aware of and can make so many women aware of their power so i think people are scared of this of that mm-hmm. um, so i think that's how people react uh, to women who are successful okay so another thing which you have also noticed and of course you're not exactly doing that but something similar a lot of people are like i say switching gears nowadays leaving what they were doing earlier as a job or a profession as a career and moving on to something which is very different very drastic and in some cases like yours and mine we are picking up things you know which earlier like we were very straight jacket that if you were a doctor you continue to be a doctor for the rest of your life you could have had hobbies but not other careers or professions or you know job options but nowadays we see a lot of that happening so what do you attribute that to so yeah it's it is uh, definitely a huge trend especially in uh, our uh, urban kind of setups so i think that uh, our generation specifically was a generation which started getting a lot of exposure if you look at it you know yeah. the, there was globalization there was liberalization uh, there were multiple influences that came into the country when we were growing up so we were exposed to the fact that there can be different things yeah uh, at the same time our uh, education systems did not give us those kind of uh, opportunities right it yeah. was straight jacket the word you used was bang on it was you want to do science then you do this you want to do this you do this and you keep doing that right right, Correct. right Correct. from the time you're 16 you are pushed on a path yeah so yeah. somewhere those influences stayed with us right there was more culture there was more reading than our previous generations probably had a worldwide exposure to and uh, now when it comes to you know when we are in adulthood when we are at this age that we are we find that uh, we have the opportunity hmm. we have a global world we have computers we have the internet so we have this whole opportunity which gives us Uh, a chance to explore those sides of ourselves which probably would have remained unexplored a generation back mm-hmm. uh, so we got those avenues like i said i discovered reading groups i discovered writing groups i discovered writing courses so yeah. i could nurture that part of myself also so that is one the second thing is that uh, our social conventions have changed mm-hmm. uh, some extent at least in our uh, strata so what has happened is that um it's okay to have a different kind of a personal life also hmm. it's okay to be single it's okay to be in a different kind of a relationship so those give us some amount of both freedom and exposure yes. you know if you're not straight jacketed even in your family life like hmm. okay my family life is pretty routine uh, family kids but not everyone has that so there are people who've chosen to not have children so that they can nurture this part it's mm-hmm. socially a little more acceptable not yeah, we're yeah, not there yet but for people who are really passionate these options are there mm-hmm. and lastly and this is i mean this this is a little uh, unexpected i think we have the privilege oh yes uh, we do we have the privilege because our parents our uh, gen- generations before us simply didn't have this kind of a privilege that uh, suppose now i want to take a sabbatical to focus mm-hmm. on my right so maybe i can you know yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we are lucky fortunate enough to do that whereas i definitely know that my parents could never have thought of being without an income for even a week you know yeah yeah uh, right the, they had so many more responsibilities they didn't have the backing that we have thanks to their hard work yeah, yeah, so i think yeah, all yeah. of this makes it easier for us to explore more to go beyond the straight jacket and um, and i and the stories uh, of people doing it uh, i think they set off a reaction like you were trying to do uh, you know they make us aware that um, 
there is something more to our fulfillment that we can go out and look for. Yeah. And the fact that one woman or man or person mm -hmm. has found it, it means that it's right there for us if we want to take it. So I think it's a combination of all these. And I think it's a great trend that, you know, people are able to follow their hearts. Um, I Actually, a whole lot of stuff which is happening in various yeah. ways. So that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of lot more happy people in the world, uh, <laughs> what yes. and that's what we need. <laughs> Happiness quotient going up for sure. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, a piece of advice, or many, maybe many pieces of advice for young girls who are just on the threshold of their personal lives, professional lives. Some pointers you think they should keep in mind. Some something that you would like to share. Yeah, specifically for girls. Uh, never give up on your financial independence. Never, ever. Hmm. Uh, even if it's little, even if it's something uh, that people tell you is not enough, earn whatever little you can. Educate yourself. Be financially independent. Um, hmm. That is one. Hmm. Uh, second, um, get married for the right reasons. Uh, hmm. Because uh, the that these are decisions which will affect the entire course of your life. True. So get married uh, when you're ready for it, emotionally, uh, mentally, financially, physically. Mm. Uh, it's your life. Don't rush into it just because people tell you or it's expected, uh, you know, have the courage to um, do it when you want to. Mm -hmm. And lastly, um, Learn to recognize um, stereotyping and misogyny. Hmm. Um, I think that is very important because um, patriarchy is ingrained in us now. Yes. Patriarchy is almost a part of our genotype now. Hmm. So um, learn, you know, question yourself when you do something. Is this the real me? Hmm. Or is this me under the influence of the world? Uh, I, I'll give an example for that. So, and once you realize that you're doing something under pressure or mm. that something's not okay, call it out. If you're not comfortable with something, call it out. If you feel that you have been objectified, stereotyped, call it out. Because you're doing yourself a favor, you're doing all the other women a favor. Mm. But you're not going to be able to do that till you know what's happening. Yeah. See, you have to realize one thing that there is, like I said, now it's a part of our genotype. So there are so many what I call default settings in us, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like there's this little thing like I, if I chose to take my spouse's name after marriage, it was more like, a, I mean, it was like something I didn't think about. Right? Yeah, it was yeah, right, that right. Everyone does it. But my daughter will not do it. I mean, she's like, she asked me, mom, how could you do this? And I'm like, nah, I didn't mind doing it. No one forced me. Yeah. So yeah, get your default settings right. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you want to do it, it's okay. So I'll give you one example. So about a year ago, we were applying to a school. We wanted to change one of the kids' uh, schools. And uh, so they had this whole online application process. And we fill, I filled it up. I filled it up. I am mm -hmm. the more active parent when it comes to these things. So I filled up everything. And then I waited for them to call us. And nothing happened. And then I called them one day. And they said, we sent you a couple of mails and you didn't reply. So I asked my husband. So mm -hmm. he said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they went to spam. I was traveling. And they had sent him the mails. So I just spoke to the school. I said, yeah, are you sending him the mails? He's traveling most of the time. Mm. So, you know, the lady just typed something on a computer. And she's like, uh, ma'am, uh, you have given his, uh, it's his email ID. That's the primary parent. Okay. So the school actually had a form which said primary parent and other parent. And I actually filled up his name as primary parent. Yeah. I filled yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that. I mean, even after being so aware and after talking to you so much, I actually did that. Hmm. So the thing hmm. is that we have to realize that we are also conditioned. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, and not at every moment in our lives are we able to run away from that conditioning. So once you realize, you will automatically change. See here, the school was absolutely right. Hmm. 
Yes. Normally, school says father, mother. The school mm-hmm. gave me the choice. I still goofed up, right? So what I'm trying to say is that you know you need to understand uh, what exactly uh, patriarchy has done to our society. You know, there are so many things which we we just take upon ourselves, uh, women. Mm-hmm. So. Take up, take what you want upon yourself. Take the burdens that you can carry. Uh, you know, question these things, uh, and then uh, live your life. And then you'll find gradually that your life is very different. So that's what I want to, you know, actually tell uh, girls. Okay, great, very, very actually insightful. Okay, so there's one thing that we hear a lot, which I uh, personally don't agree with, but then, you know, it's kind of there, that a woman is a woman's worst enemy. What do you have to say about that? I will not ask you whether that's true or not. I just want your views on that. Yeah, so we do hear that a lot. And I think it's also perpetuated by the, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I think by the serials and by the uh, movies around us also serve to perpetuate that. So when I think about that is that um, uh, I think women are so oppressed, mm-hmm. so oppressed that often they do not even realize that they are, that both the women who are in a, suppose you talk about a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, which is the most conventional uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it also happens at the workplace. So they don't even realize that they are themselves oppressed. They mm. are two, both of them are on the oppressed side by patriarchy. Patriarchy is what is pitting them against each other. Mm. See, if a mother does not police her daughter, mm. does not ask her daughter to curb her ambitions in a conservative society, or does not, uh, you know, reign in her daughter when she's trying to wear different kind of clothes, who's going to be judged? Everyone's just going to turn around and tell the mother, hey, you didn't bring her up properly. Mm-hmm. So it is her fear. A mother-in-law oppressing a daughter-in-law is actually struggling to keep her place in a patriarchal society. A place which she has had to fight for for years. I'm not justifying it. No, no, so, I get your point. Yeah. So what's happening here is that you have people who are already so who have so much patriarchy ingrained in them hmm. that the women are becoming the keepers of patriarchy. Hmm. They are becoming hmm. the proponents of patriarchy. They don't realize what they are doing, but yes. yes. They Again, don't realize. Conditioning, conditioning also. It's, exactly. It's their conditioning. It's their lack of knowledge. They have probably never been exposed to a good sisterhood. I don't think they are aware of its power. Hmm. Because from day one, you are putting pitting women against women. And um, my question after this is, so who gains if the women are not getting solace in each other? If that universal sisterhood that we talk about, that you are trying to foster with about her, if that is not happening, who's gaining? It's the men, right? So it suits them to keep this kind of a myth alive. It happens at the workplace also. Two men will have an argument about something professional, yeah. right? They have a great argument, uh, you know, they might even uh, become a little aggressive and a little, uh, you know, loud about it. But the moment two women will begin to have the same professional ag- argument, it will be like, oh, two women are fighting, cat fight, hmm. right? Yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, uh, so they're just perpetuating the fact they're neg- one, they're negating your intelligence that mm. you cannot have a good professional discussion and they're just putting you down. So I don't think that uh, women are women's worst enemies. I I think most serial killers, most cri- criminals, <laughs> everything is male dominated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, <laughs> and definitely crimes against women are perpetuated most more by men of course. but yes this whole uh, this whole dynamic that has been uh, perpetuated again is because again years of conditioning yeah. years of conditioning so uh, that is the reason okay so finally 
can a woman have it all <laughs> okay so i uh, am i allowed to disagree with the question itself yes of course yes <laughs> okay. definitely so i think that this women have it all actually started in a very nice way uh it was a very uh, it was a thought to empower women and to encourage them to probably come out of homes into the workplace mm-hmm. uh that's probably how it started but i think that now it's become a little cliched in the sense that uh, like the superwoman syndrome yeah uh when a superwoman so you have other people telling you what you should be um you know um so you don't ask any men if men can have it all because the i think they believe they have it all anyways <laughs> i think they don't have anything <laughs> yeah. no no they believe yeah. i'm not saying they have they, they believe. believe yeah they believe so so the thing here is that uh, one i don't want to put any question to women which we are not putting to men Definitely. we don't the second thing is that when we talk about women having it all these days i think again like superwoman syndrome it's putting pressure on a woman i think we should now normalize not having it all you know like honestly speaking i hate cooking and my children don't get home cooked food every day and this is my all because when so you I tell if i'm interrupt we could yeah. tweak the definition of all to make it what women want so if yes. i what where i find happiness where i find my solace that is what my all is my all yeah. is not something what the world is telling me lovely absolutely yeah. absolutely so maybe we can normalize women defining their all hmm. right hmm. that's that's perfect then women already have it all yeah yeah that's what i But mean I, actually yeah yeah but i don't want there to be any pressure on the woman when she decides this all yes uh, that's very important you know because if you're if your all is to be able to go to work and come back and do certain things at home that is fine by me mm-hmm. but the yardstick for you and the yardstick for me and the yardstick for you has to be different so like yeah. you said uh, if you are able to decide your all yes women definitely can have it all and we don't need anyone's permission or sanction or certificate later on to say ki we had it all Okay. it's coming from side so yes then right. i agree <laughs> so thank you shalini this was indeed very very interesting and you know a lot of interesting perspectives you had about things and i really enjoyed talking to you i hope you enjoyed it too oh it was lovely i i had a great time and uh, thank you once again for having me over it's an absolute pleasure okay. i i really enjoyed myself thank you for listening to this podcast if you liked it Do rate it and follow us on Spotify and stay tuned for some more inspiring stories of women trailblazers.